Daddy Homeschools here. Someone came up to my three-year-old and said, Hello, what's your name? And he said, Sewage. And she said, Oh, well, that's funny. What, um, I know you're homeschooled. What do you do when you're homeschooling? And I thought, here we go. Here it comes. And he said, Daddy does it. I was like, okay, it's going all right so far. And she said, oh, great. What does your daddy do? And he said, he's hairy. And she said, oh, he, he well, what, what does he, what does he do with homeschooling though? And he said, but bald. And she said, do you read any books? And he says, nope. And she said, does daddy read any books? And he said, nope. <laughs> That was a pretty good chew, Chewbacca, right? There's a sweet spot. We were going to play Minecraft. Every other Saturday we play Minecraft. But I'm rethinking it. It was really good. A good bonding experience for us all. A really cool atmospheric experience where we're all working together and it's such a cool thing. But now we're all just doing our own projects and we're doing creative Minecraft. I mean, I thought literally the only time we do screens um, or videos or, or video games or anything like that, we don't even do YouTube educationally during the week. The only time we do screens is um, for a few, a few hours each Saturday. But, like, maybe part of a movie one Saturday and then a few hours of Minecraft on the the other Saturday. But I'm even reconsidering that because we just exploded and we needed to get out. And so on Saturday we went out and I said, can we just go to Minster Lovell, which is a 14th century ruins that we stumbled across last, well, in the first lockdown. And it's one of our favorite spots to go. It's so magical. So, so brilliant and, and um, gorgeous. And and they all said, yay! And I thought to myself, man, they don't, I don't know if they actually enjoy Minecraft any more than going out to a great place or seeing friends or whatever. It's just when you're there on Minecraft, you don't want to leave it. It's just addictive. Maybe. Oh, maybe it's good in small portions. If you're thinking about whether you want to start Minecraft, I think <laughs> it's not going to be a surprise, but I'm going to say there are probably better ways to spend your Saturday. It was, yeah. Anyway, it it was a it was a concession from earlier days, really, rather than something I'd like Ardelia to be in the house. So we went, we drove, we got to Minster Lovell, we walked through this provincial, lovely uh, Oxfordshire town, and there was winter jasmine, and there was fairy lights on an old hotel, there was 
um, wonderfully kept gardens. We walked through, noticed the trumpet lichen, the wall moss. We played, we had just listened to, because my daughter is listening to the Lord of the Rings again, the version, the recording, which has the film music in the background, it's by Philip Dragesh. Um, and we, so we listened to the car. I got jealous again because I love the first book. Second to not so much, but we listened to the bit about the, the fog of the Barrow Downs when he, when they are in Tom Bombadil's house and it was, yeah, it's a brilliant piece of writing, very evocative, very atmospheric and emotional and poetic. And then we got out and we played among these ruins. We played hide and seek. We played that um, the hide, hide and seek grew into various other games where my daughter was living in this old ruins and she and she had to figure out which part of the ruins were which part and which part used to be the stables. And because she was looking, the, the sun went down in that end. And so it must have been faced this way. And Henry the first or, or I think or second gifted it to one of his barons so because there was lots of fish around here and and so we could play a game where there was maybe bad guys coming bandits from coming from this side but they wanted to get this part of the land and and so we played and played and played and we were almost the only person in the ruins it's getting f uh, dark at 4:30 now in in England so we were there about 4.30, dusk, and we wandered out to the field next to it after we'd played our fill, and over these very tall trees was a low suffusion of thick mist and magenta dusk through this, through miles of mist. Um, low suffusion of inutile loveliness in the words of I think Nabokov this gentle subtle transition from magenta to orange to blue and it was and of course I tried to take a photo and it just evaded the grasp of my camera you know you look on the camera it's like oh it didn't capture any of it it was it, there was there's too much there and the things that i'm looking at are too small john ruskin a 19th century art critic and social critic who i was put onto by a Instagram and podcast that I like called Bestowing the Brush. Um, who she she does art courses and stuff like that, but she's really interested in in John Ruskin. And John Ruskin says that you shouldn't think of things in the distance as not as you shouldn't think of a church in the distance as not having a steeple or not having the details of a steeple. It just looks different now um meaning all everything in that church just because it's in the distance doesn't mean any of them have disappeared every every little detail is there 
you, we are receiving all of the details of everything we have access to. That's a weird way of putting it. But unless it's occluded by trees, we are seeing that minute uh, carving on the archway of a church. It's just has changed into a smudge now. There's a difference between it not being there and it looking different. Anyway, with this, all that to say, this, this dusk, there's so much there that we don't usually see. Um, and maybe that's where the camera can't grab it. But then we went home. And we watched this documentary, or part of a documentary, French documentary called Etre et... Etre et... Au revoir. Etre et au revoir. To be and to have, I think is how you translate it. It's a documentary about a nursery in, in rural France. And there's this one bit where the boys are having a fight two boys probably about 12 13 and quite chunky lads um and they were pushing each other over and stuff and then the principal takes them into the office has a chat with them one of them is very withdrawn and not wanting to talk the other one feels like he's in the right and he says well he pushed me over and that's why i feel hurt that's why everyone was ganging up on him in the end and stuff like that. And and this one who had more of a shield up. This is all real, you know, it's a documentary. And he hadn't really said anything up until this point. And you could see a tinge of guilt and embarrassment. But still not saying anything. And the principal asked him, what are you... What is, what's your problem, basically? And he said, he looked at the other boy and he said, it was your words that hurt me. And then he had this little tr tremble on his top lip. And that tremble told, was m told more truth than any actor could have. There was more truth told in that direct access to this boy's feelings that you get from just the camera just lingering there on him for longer than is maybe on maybe longer than is trendy longer than is comfortable the camera just there and you ha you have to invest in the time and just and looking at him a bit longer to be able to see rather than an, a voiceover saying this boy has been a problem child for many years, but he feels his peers are again out to get him. You know that feeling? Surely you know the the feeling when you get a documentary and you get that horrible overbearing uh, voice and you think, well, I don't know. You can't just tell me that. You know, I, I, you haven't told me any truth about it. Yes, that might be true, but I need to... S Seared. There's layers of artifice. Well, okay, I'm finally getting to my point here, guys. 
there was, I got home, had these two experiences of the haze, the low suffusion, and then, oh, by the way, and the, 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 the other magical thing in that moment in the ruins was when we turned away from the ruins to see the effervescent, distant blaze seeping through that haze is there was a mysterious explosion of crows out of the these very tall winter barren trees and they all hundreds of them suddenly embarked upwards um and squawked and went all kinds of ways and and you know that thing that they do where it there's this they almost look like a huge cloud of crows and they kind of it kind of revolves around in a circle and then goes up and then a few of them go top left and then the whole mass of them follow and then they go back down again and it's all according to the 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 mysterious provenance of this congregation of crows whatever inner workings of their meeting caused this unknown to us we were just privileged enough to see it but i had these two experiences and i thought to myself okay firstly both of them were so much more delightful than minecraft <laughs> so that's the first thing that's quite obvious but also there's a connection between the two that i'd like to invite you to th to think with me about and that is in both cases in the case of moving from minecraft to the haze and the crows i was moving from unnatural artifice to a direct slower encounter with something with with the thing itself you know what i mean like minecraft is a thing on top of a thing on top of a thing that someone made that someone else put another thing on top of whereas the crows just did it and it was just suddenly there and no one decided about that mist we can't we couldn't if even if we did decide about that mist there was no de decision there was no human meeting about that mist it was just simply there and then you, you can see maybe what i'm getting at with this tremble as well he didn't mean he he wasn't trying to communicate anything with that tremble it just told us the truth. This, by the way, by the way, is why I like, I've, I've never been a big fan of Tarantino. Uh, I'm trying to remember his first name is an American film director who did Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and stuff like that. Um, some, Tarantino, what's his first name? Anyway. What I don't like about Tarantino is he seems to be 
he seems to be in love with himself and he seems to be in love with film. I don't like film. <laughs> I like seeing the tremble of the lip. I don't like lectures about nature. I like seeing the explosion of crows. I don't like the I I don't like learning. I like knowing. Uh, it, here's a better way of putting it. I don't like education. I like encountering something. You know? And so I don't like... I didn't like filmmakers. I haven't watched films in ages, but... I studied film a little bit when I was um, an undergraduate. I didn't like the types of films that were all... There was so many like references about other films and just so indulgent about look how filmy this is and you see this shot look how filmy that shot is i don't like it was kind of inward curving if you know what i mean um and if you compare that with there was a scandinavian movement in the 90s called dogma 95 and 1995 i think that's why it's called 95 um they made this dogma <laughs> Dogma 95. Dogma meaning like a set of rules about how they're going to do film making. Lars von Trier was behind it. La, Lars von Trier, I guess is how you'd say it if you're Danish. And he's made a bunch of nonsense. I wouldn't re recommend all of his films, but he and a bunch of other Scandi film directors made this bunch of principles and basically it was to strip away all the artifice of filmmaking you weren't allowed fancy film uh fancy film crew you weren't allowed fancy film equipment you just had a camcorder basically and no budget and you had to make a good film based on this and it forced you to to take away all of the nonsense and all of the faff and stop relying on all the tricks and and cinema stuff and get down to exactly what it is that makes a good movie what is it what is it about saving private ryan and what what's the essential things that makes it thrilling and what is the non-essential bits and once you're only allowed to do the very basics of filmmaking, you're forced to find um, the thing in itself. You're forced to find the tremble. Because no matter how many explosions you make and how many millions you pour into the best actors, if you don't find the, trem the trembling lip, the we i'll just we just sniff as humans we just sniff out um the vacuity we sniff out the emptiness of a michael bay movie so what on earth am i talking about I guess here's one here's one here's another way of putting it. Um is my life about just like you have a decision to be like Tarantino whose films are about films or 
you could be like that film director, that um, French director whose films were about the tremble and who got out of the way so you could see the tremble. Is my education that I want to give to my kids about education or is it about something else? Or another way of putting it, is my life about my life? Or is my life about something bigger? Does my success or does the success of my child in life depend on her ability to skillfully manipulate and articulate her surroundings? Or does it depend on her, on her reliably being in the way of things worth encountering, things worth articulating, things worth... Is it about her skills relating to nature? Or is it about nature? Um, now, I know in a really obvious way that, that education is about skills or about her knowledge. But I would like to suggest to you that the best way to create a skillful and wise human being is not to focus on skills and wisdom. <laughs> no, that sounds really odd. But I, I won't go on for too much longer, but I, I want to convince you of that. Um, another contrast that I've made before is between Disney-type characters who seem to be all about... Sorry, I'm just moving my mic. Um, Disney characters who are all about unlocking their inner treasure and not letting the, the, the kingdom and family constrain their inner power and dreams and self-realization. You know, that's, that's Elsa finding the expression of her hidden power. Um, and we've, we have taken this into education where we say to our kids, you could be anything you inside of you is the treasure to all of life. You have the keys to change the world. You are what you are about. So if anyone gets in the way of you, cut them out of your life because it's, it's about you. Find your inner strength, your inner dreams. And so I think, you know, we, as a result, I think we have a bunch of depressed young men who are looking, are still looking for their hidden treasure and they haven't found it yet. And they feel utterly empty and psychotic and useless because everyone keeps telling them to figure to find their hidden treasure and they and they they rummage around in their own heart and they go I don't know When I consider the heavens the moon and the stars that you have made this is what the psalmist says in the bible When I consider the heavens who am I that you would be mindful of me it's the, it's the direct opposite. 
when I go out and look at that haze and the crows and the this this afternoon I saw this a rolling mountain bigger than Everest of cloud over again a dusk a setting sun and it every day when we go to go out of our house and we see the sky it's all structured this is what john ruskin was saying as well it's all structured in a way that's sort of designed to pull us out of ourselves and make us look up in awe and forget ourselves and be drawn up out unfolding into a into a huge story of a huge god and the best question we can think to ask our children is what do you want to be when you're older I think we're finding hundreds and thousands of children who go, I don't know, I've thought about it, and I don't know. And so there's an extended adolescence of going to university until they figure out who, what they want to be. When there's, when there's 600,000 Berbers in Morocco who are being crushed to hell, what does it matter what my dreams are? Help! Help them! We, sh we, I, we should be sensitive to personal proclivities. But we should linger longer on the stars than in the mirror. Charlotte Mason urges us to give them an education where they are, when they have direct habitual access to a natural system of ideas. And this is what I mean by the difference between Minecraft and those two encounters, the haze and the tremble, is that there was a, there was a direct access to a truth, not just any truth, but a truth that was kind of unfolding upwards and outwards rather than self-obsessed. This means, I think, one practical implication of this, I think, means that we spend the lion's share of our time in unadulterated encounters with slugs and mist and sparrows' nests as toddlers and young young folks we spend a good the, the 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 best part of our day outside with god's world i think it also means spending more time on the trembling lip than on tarantino self-obsession more time on anne of green gables and her infatuation with the lake of shining waters than on Elsa's preening self-realization and more time on Tolkien's faithful hobbits than on the cool Lego ninjas. I want to go where we unfold upward and outward and I want my kids to go there. If you tarry on the clouds long enough, you'll start to see the clouds beckoning call beyond the clouds. 
The clouds are not about the clouds. They are calling you beyond themselves to their loving craftsmen. They are, you could say, in a perpetual self-death. We have to die because we think we're the point. And then uh, we have to kill off that old confused man who thinks he's the point of everything. But the clouds are already in a, in a sweet, eternal death of not being the point. They don't have a life in themselves. They are only adornments. Oh, that I would die that death with the clouds and be only a happy adornment to the great beauty. I suppose another implication would be, you know, Charlotte Mason talks about the perpetual cackle of her elders, of the students' elders, getting in the way of the students' direct access to the slug and to the, and lecturing instead of, lecturing about, I mean, my, my thing would be lecturing about theology to my kids instead of just reading the Bible with them, allowing their encounter with it. So here's the two things again. Because we want to give them a direct habitual access to a natural system of ideas, let's go outside a lot into nature. Let's bark less or bark fewer orders about education and go further and longer into just seeing the sky. And let's try not to spend too much time in those bewitching um, inward curving types of art and literature and video games and stuff. Because it, it, I mean, it gets me. It, um, it tricks me into going inward. So, um, why, why would I subject my five-year-old to it too much too often (laughs) guys i love you see you soon good morning kinder what are we learning about today works of works of the lord the words and works of the lord works of the Works and truth and justice with him. How are we going to do it? Working truth and justice with him, exactly. And why? I can't remember what it is, So that all... So that all the sing his name. Exactly! I'm so excited to do that with you. Good one.
Oh. <sighs>